Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life, so we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at www.christchapelcollege.org and on Instagram at Christ Chapel College. Chapel College, and I hope you are safe and healthy this Sunday morning. Obviously, a lot has happened since we last gathered. Uh, COVID-19 has drastically shaped how life looks right now, Um, and as bummed as we are that we can't physically be in the same room uh, right now, we are grateful for the gift of technology that allows us to continue opening up the Word of God together. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. So we're going to continue in our series uh, in the book of Jonah. And I'm excited for what the Lord has for us today. So turn with me, if you will, to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a news clip uh, that went viral a couple weeks ago uh, that I find to actually be a fascinating case study on our culture. As as COVID-19 began to kind of hit the U.S. and social distancing became the new norm, a news crew asked a bunch of spring breakers in Miami why they continued to party rather than to heed the government's advice to stay home and practice social distancing. And this one guy famously responded by saying, quote, if I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. Well, that clip went viral, and this kid got roasted in the media. And our culture universally condemned his posture which is interesting to me because a culture that tends to elevate the rights of an individual, in that culture, no one celebrated this spring breaker fighting for his right to party. Instead, our culture declared that his actions were selfish. What I think is so fascinating is that this moment reveals that deep down, we associate sacrifice with love. Not only that, but we also associate a refusal to sacrifice with being selfish and unloving. Because this guy in the moment made it clear that he wasn't willing to sacrifice his spring break in order to love those around him who were most at risk of contracting the virus. And people universally condemned his actions as unloving. Why? Because whether you follow Jesus or not, we know that to sacrifice for the good of others is to be loving. And refusal to sacrifice is not. Now, I tell you that. Because as we continue in our series today, we're going to see a change in Jonah. For the first time in the story, we're going to see Jonah do something so sacrificial rather than selfish. And his actions, his choice to live in a sacrificial way, I think have a profound impact on those around him. And as we find ourselves in a unique cultural moment where sacrifice has never been more needed, I think there's a lot that we can learn from the story of Jonah on how to love and serve others during this very unique season in life. Now, before we dive into our text, let me recap what's been happening. It's been a few weeks since we last gathered, and to be honest, I think I need a recap as well. So if you're just now jumping in with us, God calls Jonah to preach a message of repentance to the Assyrians, and Jonah says no. Uh, The Assyrians were enemies of Israel. Uh, And the Assyrians were known to be a people that treated others in really sadistic and barbaric ways. They were known for being an evil people. So Jonah, appalled at the idea that God would ever extend mercy to such an evil people, hops on a boat to Tarshish 
uh, which was the furthest point in the world known to the people of Israel. So essentially, he hops on a boat and sails to the opposite side of the world. And the text tells us that God hurls a great wind upon the sea, and he sends a storm that is so rough, so brutal, that the sailors on the boat who had seen their fair share of storms were fearing for their life. They've never seen anything like it before, and they're absolutely terrified. And as they scramble for answers, they eventually find out that Jonah is running from God, that this storm is a consequence of his rebellion. And that's where we find ourselves, Jonah and a bunch of terrified sailors who just realize that they are now at odds with the God of the universe. With that being said, let's pick it up in verse 11. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 11, it says this. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And there is a lot here. So let me begin to try to break this down for us. Jonah realizes that the storm is a consequence of his disobedience and rebellion against God. So he tells the sailors to throw him overboard. He says, look, this is on me. If you throw me overboard, this thing will stop. This, this storm will stop. Now, I want us to just to stop for a second and, and recognize the gravity of what's happening here. Because this is a monumental turning point in the story of Jonah. Everything up to this point has been about Jonah and his desires. Every move that Jonah has made has been solely about what Jonah wants. But something changes. Jonah realizes that his actions, that his sin, that his rebellion against God is affecting everyone else around him. So he decides to do something absolutely crazy. He decides to sacrifice himself in order to save those around him. Jonah decides to lay down his life so that the others in the boat can live. What's interesting is that the sailors don't want to do it. I mean, these guys are professional mariners, and they know that you don't survive waters like this. To throw Jonah overboard is a death sentence. So they just try harder to get back to shore, and they do everything in their power to get to safety, but they can't. The winds and the waves are just too much. So after exhausting all of their options, they reluctantly agree to throw Jonah overboard. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm came to a halt. Verse 15 says that the sea ceased from its raging. This raging sea was replaced with a calm. And notice how the men respond. The men who feared the power of the storm immediately feared the power of God. Immediately the object of their fear changed and they worshipped God. 
They stood in awe and wonder of the God who rules and reigns over the waves and the winds. And they began to offer sacrifices to God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and they worshiped him. Now, here's the point that I want us to focus on. What we see in this text is that there is a direct connection between sacrifice and affection. There's a direct connection between sacrifice and affection. And here's what I mean. The affections of these pagan sailors were stirred for Yahweh, the God of Israel, because of the sacrifice of Jonah. And Jonah choosing to give up his life in order to save theirs, they were able to see the love and kindness of God on display. Jonah's life for theirs. And they worship because of it. And if that sounds familiar, it's because the picture of Jonah giving up his life to save others is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would ultimately come to do for us on the cross. But Jesus actually references this very incident in Matthew 12. So let me read to you what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41. He says this. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So, so everyone came to Jesus looking for a sign. Everyone had heard the stories of his power and his ability to perform miraculous things. And they wanted to see a sign to prove that he was who he says he is. But how did Jesus respond? He said, look, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. Meaning the only sign that they needed to see was the picture of sacrifice. The picture of laying down your life for the salvation of others. And that's exactly what they got to see. Because not long after that conversation, the world got to see Jesus. God in flesh humbly lay down his life to save and reconcile people to the Father. And our response to his sacrifice is to worship. Our response to the sacrifice of Jesus is to marvel at the grace and mercy of our God that he would reconcile our broken relationship with him at the cost of his son. When we understand the gravity of Jesus' sacrifice, our affections are stirred. And we see this play out in the world around us too. Because the person's affections are stirred when they're on the receiving end of sacrifice. The stories that we celebrate right now are all stories of sacrifice. We don't celebrate the stories of the people who hoard toilet paper or sell hand sanitizer on eBay to make a profit. No, we celebrate the stories of people sacrificing for others. We celebrate doctors and nurses who work overtime and expose themselves to the virus in order to serve those who are sick. We celebrate stories of people who stand in long lines to buy groceries for the elderly. We celebrate stories of young, healthy people who stay home in order to love those who are more vulnerable. We're drawn to stories of sacrifice. So my challenge for us this morning is that we would use this season to develop a lifestyle of sacrifice. That we would use this season, this unique season that we are in, to develop a lifestyle of sacrifice. See, for so many of us, we've been forced to live sacrificially. You've sacrificed to the rest of your semester, not because you chose to, but because someone else has forced you to. 
You've sacrificed time with friends and roommates, not again, not because you chose to, but because you've been forced to. You've sacrificed parties and formals and potential memories, not because you chose to, but because someone has forced you to. Yes, you are living sacrificially, but it's not by your own choice. My prayer for us is that as we spend time dwelling on the sacrifice of Jesus, that we develop a posture where we actively look for ways to live sacrificially because in living a life of sacrifice, we get to look like Jesus. You see, you have a choice in how you approach this season of sacrifice. You can be bitter that sacrifice was forced upon you, or you can celebrate the fact that through your sacrifice, you get to model the love of Jesus to the world around you. That doesn't mean that you can't grieve the loss of certain plans. It is healthy and right to grieve the loss of a semester. But my prayer is that this time, or that in this time, we develop the heart posture that as followers of Christ, we gladly and willingly sacrifice for the good of others because Jesus sacrificed himself for our good and we're just following his lead. Not just during a pandemic, but in all areas of life. See, when you look at the generations before us who have experienced global events like the one that we're in right now, you find that these events have the tendency to shape people for a lifetime. A common example is that people who grew up in the Great Depression were marked by caring deeply about people finishing the food on their plate. Why? Because they remember a time when you weren't guaranteed a meal. And so what we found is that the Great Depression shaped that generation long after the Depression was over. And I tell you that because one day things will go back to normal. One day you will be studying at Kraftwerk again. One day you will have formal again. Uh, one day you'll get to sit in the classroom with real people and not on Zoom. Uh, one day you'll be back on campus hugging your friends and social distancing will not be a thing. And that day will be awesome. My prayer is that when that day comes, there were still a people who live sacrificially. My prayer is that when that day comes, this time in quarantine has helped us form into disciples of Jesus who gladly and willingly sacrifice whatever we need to in order to love people well because in living sacrificially, we get to model for people the love of Jesus.